but I know muscles and how you look is like a big thing, but true strength, I mean, it's, it's everything you have, everything you have. And if you're not trying to develop everything you have, uh, you're limiting yourself. Hey, it's Ben Wise, and this is The Fitness Movement. to you by Zor Fitness. Zor Fitness is my company and my platform to deliver training-related content to people just like you. The site features in-depth articles, movement breakdowns, and our online training program, The Protocol. And I offer one-on-one remote coaching for fitness athletes. So I hope you check it out. Head over to ZorFitness.com. That's Z-O-A-R Fitness.com. See you there. Y'all are in luck today. We have Jeff Baltimore on the show. And just so my listeners know, about half or possibly a little bit more than half, up to two thirds of season two episodes will be interviews. So the monologue style solo rant type podcast isn't going away. Uh, It's just not going to be every single episode. So personally, it's my belief that interviews uh, for podcasts are best in that 60 to 90 minute range where we can kind of get past some of the fluff of the conversation where if it's shorter than that 60 minutes, it tends to just be kind of surface level and not really as in depth. And that allows us to get past that. But if you go too long, then it's like this marathon type thing where um, people feel like they need to pace themselves in the conversation. And I'd rather have it to be at a good flow and pace. So that's why I kind of came to this conclusion. And I'm super pumped to actually roll out season two to all of you. I really think it's going to be the best of both worlds. Anyway, I'm really excited to have Jeff on today. He's a personal friend of mine. I wanted to have him on the show because, well, firstly, I knew it would be a great episode since I'm pretty familiar with his beliefs and methodologies, but also because I knew he'd be gracious to me if I actually messed up since I'm pretty new to this whole interviewing thing. So uh, Jeff is the head coach at 1440 Athletics, which is home of CrossFit 717 near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. He's been coaching since 2014, and I joined CrossFit 717 in 2017 as my first CrossFit gym. So he was one of my first coaches, and Jeff does their affiliate programming, and he does a lot of their classes, coaching classes, and he does some individual designs as well. So he's a a busy dude and he's also a dad. So he's got to juggle all of those different aspects. And actually the first time I remember talking to Jeff was, um, one of the first workouts I did across the 717. Um, they did a retest of 15.5, which is 27, 21, 15, nine row cows and thrusters, um, which he squarely beat me in, but, um, I was actually really impressed with him hitting, um, thrusters. I think it was like 275 or 295, at the beginning of class in the strength portion and maintaining his movement speed while doing that. Um, so Jeff is a really powerful dude. He, um, competed in CrossFit for a while, but he also competed in weightlifting for about a year and a half. He hit a 130 kilo snatch, which is 286 and a 163 kilo, 360 pound clean jerk at a lighter body weight than me. I know that. So I respect Jeff a lot. He's been around the space for a long time and he has a lot of great knowledge to share. So I'm really excited for the interview. Without further ado, let's jump into it. So Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Good to have you on. I've been meaning to actually do this for a while and I'm excited to actually have some guests on and talk about some stuff and not just me talk the whole time. So you talking is informative. So it's all, it's, I like that. (laughs) Hopefully, hopefully. Um, so I've known you for 
a while since 2017 is when I started across the 717 and uh, you were coaching some of my classes then and we would work out together fairly often in class when we could. Um, so I had some respect for you from you right off the bat just because I don't know, I always have respect for people when they can actually walk the walk and you know, you're good at working out. So <laughs> I appreciate Fine. that. Good exerciser. <laughs> good exercise, exercise racer. Um, yeah. But like, I think it's also pretty rare if you can, like the better you get to know someone, you actually respect them more and appreciate their knowledge more. And I think that's definitely been the case for you. So I appreciate that. Hey, much appreciated. It's mutual. Yeah, thanks. So, um, yeah, I, I think really, I just kind of formed the basis off what we're going to talk about today based on um, different conversations that we've had about stuff. Um, like we've both been in the CrossFit, functional fitness, weightlifting type space for a while. And you, um, yeah, you're obviously doing that full time. And um, yeah, I think, you know, you kind of see the same conversations come up with athletes again and again, like stuff that they're dealing with, like whether it's like burnout or movement dysfunction or hormonal stuff, like all the same stuff tends to come up again and again. So like, I think, um, having that experience as a coach for you, um, since 2014 is super helpful and you can kind of see the trends. Um, do you think that's the case? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's funny you mentioned, uh, burnout. I'm sure we'll talk on that later, but that's probably the conversation uh, I have the most with the athletes I run into. It's like, you know, I can do this for a while, maybe a year or a little more than that. And then it's just like my progress stalls or I just get hurt. So uh, many of the same conversations over and over. I think that happens a lot, especially in CrossFit because it's super intense, like <laughs> for a lack of a better word, like everyone says that, but it's true. Like, yeah. like I feel like the, you know, compared to a lot of other general fitness things, like it's not an impact sport, for example, like mm -hmm. you're not playing, you know, football or wrestling where you're like grappling with someone or like having impact or we're like trauma in that way. So it's like, it's just like you're, you're putting your body through so much and that's what's causing so much of the burnout. Like yeah. you're just unable to maintain it. Yeah. And I think it's just the nature of, um, you know, CrossFit in general, whether you look at it from the sports side or just from um, training for general health, like it preaches high intensity and, you know, that's how you get results. So that's what people do. Um, and it's, it's great. It does, you know, produce results and produces um, amazing fitness, but there is a price to pay depending on how you approach it. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, th I think we've both seen that a lot. Um, so, you um, are doing the programming for 1440 Athletics, which is Cross the 717 right now, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. So, um, obviously, like, you have that conversation about burnout a lot, but you can also control it to a degree um, with one number, just, like, talking to your athletes and trying to educate them, but also, like, with through the programming. So, like, mm -hmm. is there something that you feel like you do to try to at least mitigate some of the, the burnout or the um, maybe overuse of intensity all the time in CrossFit? Yeah, so... Um I think we do a good job over at 1440 of communication between coach and athlete. Um, so every day the athletes know the intent behind the program. When they get the program, there's like a description of, Hey, this is what we're going after today. Um, there's daily conversations with myself, other coaches between athletes, um, how they're feeling, how they're moving, 
uh, what their mood is like, all these things that play a role in, you know, their health and fitness. Uh, from the programming side, it can be a little difficult, uh, but there are parts in the week that are supposed to be, all right, this is a piece where we want the intensity pretty high. I want you to go after it pretty hard. And there's other pieces where maybe we have some program just accessory work, um, like some single joint bodybuilding stuff, or maybe it's uh, 15 minutes at a conversation pace. And I want you to have a conversation with somebody while you're doing it. I want you to stick with somebody and talk to them while you're doing this. Um, Or maybe it's just, I don't want you to breathe through your mouth, do this whole piece. Um, Also like programming rest periods between rounds of like your traditional wads there. I mean, there's a, there's ways to try to control the intensity and I think we do a pretty good job at it. Um, But sometimes you just gotta let people loose and let them go. Like, you know, yeah, actually, I mean, I feel like that's an important part of like, you know, if you never let somebody go, like where they, you like never like, Hey, like really hammer the intensity today, like let it all out there, like, and give them something that is just going to like, you know, be super, um, yeah, like metabolic where there's messed up for a while. Like if you never give that to someone, they're going to be craving that, especially like for the type of personality that signs up for CrossFit. Like usually yeah, that's what people want. Like I want you to, you know, yeah, beat me into the ground the and feel like crap. Yeah. yeah. Like if I'm not puking after the workout, it wasn't a good workout, like that kind of mentality. And I feel like if you give that to people at least somewhat, um, yeah. you know, it, it kind of takes the edge off that. And then when you do tell them like, Hey, like today's the day for you to, you know, not go there, so to speak, like it actually, you know, provides an opportunity for them to be a little bit more yeah. you know, cognizant of their training if you get athletes to kind of buy into that concept where there's periods of training, whether it's throughout the year or even throughout the week where these are the higher intense pieces. And these are the pieces where we kind of want to reel in a little bit. If you can get them to buy into that, um, you know, it seems to be much more sustainable for both sides. Like they get to uh, like train and improve um, because that's, I mean, no matter what the sport is, whether it's CrossFit baseball, you know, learning the piano doesn't matter. Person that approves the person that's doing it the longest. Um so if they can continue mm-hmm. to be in the game and train, they'll improve. And at the same time from a business side, you still have these people walking through your door year in and year out. Yeah. Um yeah. so it works both ways. Yeah. I feel like if you know the education piece always plays off in the long run where um yeah, like initially if you you know, you might not be giving that athlete what they want, so to speak, um, where you might not give me all the intensity all, all the time right away. But if you can educate them, you might like have like some, you know, um, pushback initially, but then it's like, you're going to get a long-term payoff and the longevity of the athlete. And ultimately like you actually give them a service that they want to come back for, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. So, um, one of the things that I've been thinking about for a long time, and I think you think about it a similar way. Um, and I, I don't, I guess I first heard about this through Julian Pinot of uh, strong fit. Um, but basically like you only have a certain number of maximal touches on like intensity within like a given time frame. which I mean, obviously it's an intuitive thing, but it's probably the first I've heard it super concretely, maybe from mm-hmm. him. Um, is there, so you like, you've mentioned like, yeah, like for example, we might give like a super hard, um, metabolic dose, like every so often, like how often is that? And like, how, how often is too often for people actually going like into the, let's call it like the red zone, for example. Uh, yeah, I think it depends on 
I, it sucks because all these answers for every single question is it depends. It depends, <laughs> you know, um, at least in my experience. I know yeah. for us, um, I try to throw that in like once a week, uh, maybe twice a week. Um, it's not as often as I think people think or even some of our athletes, um, they see like, oh, this is an intense piece. I should hit it pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um but I'd say like once or twice a week. Um, and I, and the reason I say it depends is because, you know, for a more mature athlete, like with a higher training age, who's been doing this for a while. Um, mm. I would actually say that's probably, I would say that's even less um, just because they have the ability to, to go there and push that. Um, whereas someone who is just starting out, they could probably get it, uh, get away with it more frequently. Um, we don't, but just cause they don't have, you know, the, I don't know what you would call it, the, the mentality or, you know, the ability to just go to that place, uh, from what I've seen. Um, yeah. and for the person with the higher training age, like, I think it just wears them down a little bit more. Uh, yeah. from what I've seen, I think it's also the same way with like, you know, lifting, like I think someone with a younger training age could, you know, hit close to their one rep max more frequently just because they don't have the nervous system stimulation yet to like, you know, hit Whereas someone with a higher age, like, oh, it might wear them down a little more. It's taking a little more out of them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the higher someone's one RM is, it's like, well, you have to do more warm ups. That's just the, like, if you're squatting yeah. 800 pounds, like you're some elite power lifter, like the amount of toll you have, and like nervous system strain just from getting up to like your 70% is like so much more versus like someone who can do a set with like the bar and put on 135 and they're at 70% already. Like it's just like the the strain on that athlete. Plus like if someone is like, for example, even if it's like an assault bike sprint or something like that athlete can tap themselves out so much quicker because they can just produce so much more power, which is, I think it's like not intuitive to a lot of athletes initially, but yeah, certainly the case. Um, yeah, we hit like, if we hit 30 second sprints on a bike and we have someone who's just starting out and they're like a 55 year old, 120 pound female, they're like 30 seconds. That was nothing. Yeah. You got this 26 year old six two two thirty guy and he's like laid out. Yeah. So I think it just depends on, you know, who the athlete is. Yeah. And probably also whether they're competitive or not. Cause like if you were not oh, competitive, definitely. like you have, you have almost zero reason to put yourself through that on a, yeah. Frequent basis. At it's least. like, what's the point? What's the point? You know, if we're doing yeah. this just to be, you know, healthy and live long and look good, you know, it's almost, do we need to do that every day? Absolutely not. Yeah. And I think that's just kind of where the market's at right now too, is like the high intensity thing is what's popular. Whereas like in the seventies, it was like more like jogging was popular. Yeah, jogging was <laughs> the mode of exercise. I believe it's jogging. Um, yeah. soft J, but, um, <laughs> like 1% of people get that joke, but, um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think like the, the high intensity thing, like hit, like we have this high intensity interval and then we get to rest and like, yeah, it's like useful. And like, probably if you're, you weren't doing a lot and you started doing that and again, you're not super neurologically developed or like a really high level athlete, you probably will get like good results for a while. But like, I think people don't see the role of aerobic work or easy in particular aerobic work because all work is aerobic, but, um, 
yeah, actually doing like moderate to easy stuff and how that can actually supplement the high intensity stuff. So like, um, how do you think about prescribing lower intensity work? Uh, that's also, I think it seems to be one of the hardest things, um, to get people to buy into because it almost is the opposite of what is preached in a traditional CrossFit box. Um, you know, you ask someone to do 45 minutes on the bike or, um, even if it's mixed modal and you're doing like easy row, easy bike, maybe some jump rope, um, you know, some people look at that as like, it's boring or it's pointless. I'm not getting tired. Like I don't feel like I did anything. Um, mm. so you try to sneak it in when you can, especially, um, for like, like gen pop programming people that regularly come in. So maybe it's, uh, an endurance wad. We have endurance wads every Thursday. Um, so every other week also on Thursday, we do like, it's a recovery wad. So maybe like a 40 minute, 40 minute piece of, like I said, conversation pace, you're talking to someone or nasal breathing, um, or once or twice a week, we'll put in like 15, 20 minutes after a strength of just like some low eccentric movements, um, where it's just easy work, keep it pretty chill. Um, but for people who want to be like competitive, we have a small competitors group. Um, you know, you try not to sugarcoat it and like, this is just something you need to do. Like, this is something <laughs> where if you want to uh, be competitive and have that engine, um, it's just something you need to do, especially now, like local comps aren't really a big thing right now. Uh, just cause yeah. you know how the world is, but <laughs> yeah, but, uh, <laughs> you know, so if you're doing a local comp, you know, maybe three, four wads within, you know, a five hour time span and how good are you not at just hitting an intense piece, but hitting an intense piece, recovering, getting as close to hundred percent as possible and hitting an intense piece again. That's like all your aerobic capacity, you know, how well can you recover and do it again? Um, it's super important, super important. Yeah. I do think a lot of beginner to intermediate athletes think about aerobic, the aerobic system that way, where it's like, Oh, this is helping me perform better in the workout, which is true, but it's also yeah. like you get a, like a, a double benefit because you get the benefit of recovering better in between those hard sets as well. Um, which is like super important for the sports side of CrossFit, oh obviously God, it's crucial. And it's like, and it's recovery in like almost in every way you can imagine, like, <clears throat> let's say we're doing, I don't know, a set of wall balls. Like how, how well can you recover between each throw between each contraction? How well can you cover <laughs> if we're going from wall balls to box jumps? How well can you recover from one movement to the next on that walk over there? Or like between wads, between training days, between, you know, year to year, how well can you recover? It's almost how well can you process oxygen? You know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, really it's good. crucial. I think it's also, I, I really like the one thing you mentioned about like the, not just your ability to be able to contract, but also to relax, to get blood back into the muscle. Cause like, yeah. that's one of the things that like that easy aerobic work helps develop is like your ability to have a, just a lower level of tension in your muscle. And if you have lower tension, like you'll relax quicker. Mm-hmm. And if you get relaxed quicker, you'll get more blood back into your muscle quicker. Um, so it's like even in between, you know, sets or even like individual reps, you can turn off a muscle and get blood back in. So, yeah, yeah that's really good. Um, as far as like athletes, I mean, that's something I actually do hear a lot is, uh, 
it was two things as far as like fatigue. It's like, oh, I'm getting out of breath. Like I can't control my breathing. And a lot of times you have to realize it's like, man, sometimes I like, it's not even my breath. It's my muscles just stop working. Like I just can't contract. Like I'm breathing fine. And I just think they don't have the, you know, the bank account of many, 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 many contractions. Mm-hmm. Um you know, over and over again, contract, relax, contract, relax. And they're, you know, they're not used to processing blood or processing oxygen that way. Um, So doing that low level, easy aerobic work, even if it's just many contractions on a rower, or even if it's just, you know, like even easy stuff like walking or going for a hike, like those low level contractions, um, you know, they transfer over to wads. Yeah. Again, I think that's something that's really important that's missed a lot is that like it's not just about the systemic overarching system that's allowing the the people to have a good like let's call it like an aerobic event, Um, but it's also like the individual muscles. Yeah, Yeah, like like heart lungs, but it's it's everything. Right. Yeah, it's everything because if you don't have like your ability for an individual muscle, like the local tissue to be able to process oxygen and be able to sustain contractions over a long period of time, like you're not you're, like you're going to fail reps. Yeah. And that happens all the time in the CrossFit. Yeah, it's like it doesn't matter how well like, you know, you're breathing. If, you're, <laughs> if your biceps, your quads start seizing up because they can't get the blood and like it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think that actually happens probably more in non low eccentric environments for example like murph isn't mm. a very low eccentric workout at all which is why no. people get so such bad doms afterwards yeah. yeah um but like they're doing yeah like pull-ups push-ups sit-ups or not sit-ups, <laughs> air squats <laughs> and um like running which are all like super yeah. eccentric movements and i think that's probably in part why people cramp a lot when they're doing yeah. those they're just like it's like one long hour-long contraction like there's like no relax in there. There's no like constant blood flow through the tissues. There's no like metabolic waste removal. It's nothing. It's just, they're just right. this contra- All acyclical. Yeah. Yeah. Which is going to lead to like their perceived, not even perceived their fatigue and their like doms the next day. Like, you know, it's, it's crazy to see how some of the athletes at the top, whether it's Frazier or T like whoever, you know, even in wads or the next day they recover so well, you see those guys in wads and, two minutes later, they're in an interview, like fine. You know, it's not even so much that their ability to go hard is better. It is like their ability to contract their muscles and perform movements. Um, but their ability to recover like immediately between movements, between contractions, between wads, days, like they just recover better than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's also like, probably a nervous system thing that allows them to do that as well. I mean, like certainly you couldn't do that if like you didn't have the aerobic system developed mm. where you could do that. But also like if you aren't like if your environment and your lifestyle isn't aligned where, you know, you, you basically are in a stressed out state the entire day, like you're never going to come down from that and actually be able to recover effectively. So like, yeah, I feel like that's part of it too, is like people are getting done with their, their workout at the gym they're, you know, getting done with their assault bike sprints, not doing any cool down or like easy flush work. And then they're jumping straight in their car and blasting the music on the way home and listening to death metal and like and the whole just, thing. They just ride this sympathetic nervous system 23 and a half hours a day. Like, and they wonder like, oh man, why am I feeling so run down? And my appetite is terrible. Or like my sex drive is low. It's like your, your body's just trying to survive. Like it's not worried about any of those things. It's just trying to get through the day. 
Yeah. Is there anything you guys do in terms of like cool down or flush work or like those sorts of things to help? I mean, obviously it's like just like a way to get people to feel better before they leave. Nervous system is just one part of that. Is there something you guys do to, you know, any specific protocols or anything that you do? Um, well, I'm sure it annoys like most of the members, but it's always, it's always something like something small. So if we finish a lot, four days out of the week, four days out of five weekdays, I'm like, Hey, let's go on a 200 meter walk or a 400 meter walk. Just something where they can get off that high of whether it's an intense piece, excuse me, or like uh, an intense strength piece or wide. And it's just, just allow your body, your mind, just a chance to just come off of that, relax before you get in your car and go home. Um, because some people will hit a wide, like let's say Fran or something, lay on the floor for five minutes, get their keys, get in the car and go home. Oh yeah. I've seen and it so many times. It's, it's, I don't want to say it's the worst thing you can do, but it's, you know, we're all we're doing in here is providing a stimulus, you know, like a, a chance for your body to like get a stressor and then recover from it. But if you never transition to that recovery period, it's almost like, you know, you're just stressing your body out and then going to the next stress and then going to the next stress. There has to be a period where you transition from that sympathetic side to the parasympathetic side. Yeah. Um, you don't get more fit by working out. Yeah. Which is very counterintuitive initially. Like you don't yeah. get stronger by lifting weights, people. Exactly. You get stronger it, by when you sleep. It, when you tell people that it's like, what? I'm in here getting stronger. It's like, nah, we're just in here, you know, by a little stimulus. Yeah. It's like set away. five looked way harder than set one. Like yeah. you're not getting stronger yeah. while you're in here. Yeah. So I think, and like I said, I think it, it, we do a pretty good job of like the communication of that to uh, our members. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's, a struggle getting people to buy in. Um, but you keep preaching this and they see the results and they see, Oh, I actually feel better. I'm getting uh, results. I'm getting stronger. Um, so the, yeah. the, the why has to be there for the athlete. Yeah. I think that's one of those things when the athletes see the more mature athletes and the coaches that they respect doing that stuff. Um, they definitely buy in a lot quicker for sure. Yeah. So, I think that is one of the obstacles that a lot of people have for just like, you know, skipping mobility work, skipping flush work, skipping, you know, easy aerobic warmups and cool downs. It's just like, Oh, I, I don't have time or I got to leave right away. It's like, if you literally like, it doesn't have to necessarily even be more than five minutes. And if you do like those, that five minute beginning and end caps to your, your session, like you're going to feel so much better. And Absolutely. yeah, I don't know what exactly the obstacle is for people. Um, and maybe it's just education or they feel like that's not actually worthwhile, but yeah, it's, I think yeah. they just don't see the value in it. Um, which is, you know, valid. It's not talked about a lot. It's really just come in, kill yourself, go home, you know? And that's especially, I think it's CrossFit and, you know, the, the training and coaching and, uh, the athletes behind CrossFit, it's, get, it's getting better, but it really was just, all you got to do is come in, warm up, hit an intense piece, go home. You're good. And yeah, hard work pays off. Yeah. You know, and everybody sees that everybody sees like, you know, the games athletes and sees these motivational video and like, they just want to go hard 24 seven. Yeah. And then you talk without the support structures or anything else to yeah, you know, provide. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't see all the stuff that, you know, they need to do to support that life um, and support that intensity and support that training. Um, yeah. So, 
it's not flashy. It's not exciting. Nobody wants to spin on the bike for 10 minutes post wad. Um, nobody wants to sit in the corner and stretch, you know, let their nervous system calm down or do breath work or go for a walk. It's not exciting. Um, but it's corny, but what is exciting is like continuing to do the stuff you want to do for as yeah. long as you want to do it. Right. You, you know, so. yeah. I think also a lot of people, it's just like when, when you do experience the burnout, when you do feel like garbage and like you're just hormonally distressed, yeah. <laughs> um, is like when you actually learn to, okay, I can't do this anymore. Like I feel yeah. like almost everybody when they're like 18 is like somewhat irresponsible with the way that they go about working out just because they don't really need to be that careful yet. And they yeah. haven't had bad experiences. When you're 18, when I was like 21, uh, I, there was not a thing I couldn't recover from. I could come in and max out my clean drink every day if I wanted to. And more than likely I would hit up close to my PR or PR on most of those days. It's just, you know, it's different when you're young or your training age isn't that high. Um, But if you want to do this for a long time, that's not the way to approach it at all. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't know, like to a degree, it's like when you are younger, like you can, like that might actually be somewhat of the way to go. Like, don't like avoid the stress when you're younger to a degree. Like obviously like you have to have the yin and the yang where you balance that out. And hopefully if you have a intelligent experienced coach, that's going to help with that. But yeah, I feel like there's also like part of you that can like actually go out and do that stuff way more often just because you are more resilient at that age yeah. and less stressed out. Yeah. So it's a, it's a benefit. Take advantage of your youth. I think, uh, you know, I go back and forth with it. I was, I don't regret any of the stuff I did, um, with my training when I was younger, I learned a lot and I feel like I improved pretty quickly. Um, there's some definitely like some dark times, some injuries, some like stalled progress for like a long time. Um, but you know, it's like you said, it's a balance, you know, take advantage of it, learn from it. Hopefully you have someone in your corner that's, you know, guiding you and you're not just doing whatever you feel like doing, you know, um, every, yeah. every good athlete has a coach. You know? Yeah. I think a lot of people when they are coming into the sport, they cherry pick stuff or they, you know, want to, you know, come up with their own workouts to do or like, you know, I'm going to, my friend's going to do this workout today. I'm going to jump in with them. And like, I don't know, there is part of like the community that is like, that's fun to do that. Like I've done that plenty of times. And like, I think that is probably worthwhile. And, but also at a certain point, like if you're someone who wants to be a professional, like, and like carry yourself as professional in the sport and like compete at a high level is what I mean by that. Um, like where you're going to like a sanctioned event, for example, like that's, there's a different mindset. Way less than one percent of the athletes. Yeah, like if you're doing what you know, unless you're doing, or what at least you're not doing what ninety percent, ninety nine percent of the people are doing. Like you're mm-hmm. not gonna get to go to one of those events. No, you're not. Like, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's just a completely different conversation. If someone's in that training group where, um, yeah, they have those kind of goals. Yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah the environment you're in. But if you're like you said, if you're trying to be a competitive athlete and those are your aspirations and you want to go to sanctionals or the games and that's something you want to do, but you're looking on Instagram for your wads and what's the most exciting thing. It's probably not the way to go about it. Yeah. Same thing. If you're sleeping less than 
I mean, I'm like realistically, like if you're sleeping less than nine hours a day and you want to be a games athlete, it's not going to happen. It's not, not. Yeah. If you, if you're just like, I, I can't, I can't sleep that much or I can't eat that much. Or I don't have the time for this. I don't. And it's kind of a real conversation you need to have with that athlete. You're, you're not going to, you're not going to make it because there are yeah. people at the top who are literally dedicating their life to this, like yeah. everything, cutting do, everything else out, everything out. Like they have no yeah. social life. Their family life is minimal. Um, it's eat, sleep, train. And that sounds so cliche put on the wall, but that's literally what their life is. Eat, sleep, train. Yeah. And if you're not willing or capable of doing that, then that's fine. But know that that's what people are doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too many people actually want that where they don't understand that. Like, it's okay if you don't want that, like no one's making you get up and train at, you know, in the morning and then come back at noon and then come back at before dinner and do it again. And then do that every day for, you know, eight months out of your year. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like no one's saying that you need to do that, but I feel like too many people want to train in that way even when their lifestyle is not aligned with it. And that's really what a a big part of the issue is, in my opinion, with, you know, a lot of competitors. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people have seen, um, like a bunch of CrossFit day in the life videos. I used to be obsessed with those. (laughs) Like, uh, Rich had one from like 2011. I think, um, I don't know who, I think it was NF sport did Matt Frazier's like, it was like a whole series and it was literally, like that he would just wake up he'd eat breakfast he'd train he'd eat again go to the gym train and then come home and train and go to sleep literally nothing else for like nine months out of the year and not because every not everybody can afford to do that which is no not even close like you know so people have full-time jobs people have kids people have like nagging husbands and wives people have like the stresses of life so for you to think, oh, I'm going to follow this, you know, training style while Matt Frazier's doing that while he's getting his meals made for him and his like, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's not valid, which is, again, OK, but, you know, yeah. you're not, not going to you're not going to be up there at the top of those guys if you can't match the lifestyle they have. Yeah. And part of it is like it's a really difficult question to try to figure out like if you if you do want to get to that level or even close to that level where you're trying to replicate that to a degree like how do you get to the point where you can quit your full-time job and not have so much stress that that creates that you can actually train effectively like are you living with your parents full-time and that's what's allowing you to do that and are they making all your meals for you and not on your case because you're working out all day and not getting like a quote real job? Like, like Like, are you, you need not only you need everything, a support system. You need someone to like, it's not, if you make it to the games, it's not just you making it to the games unless you have like nothing else going on and you just, I don't know. I don't know how you would make it work. Stealing um, food and oh, you would need, <laughs> and in that case, another stress on your life, which would right, exactly. not help. So it's, you need a lot of things in place, not only personally, as far as like your work ethic or genetics, whatever you want to call it. Um, but you need like the support system of someone that allows you or a group of people that allow you to just focus on your training. And most people 
a lot of people, almost everyone doesn't have that. So, you know, it's cool to want to be fit, want to be competitive. Um, but, you know, I have conversations, I'm sure you do too, like, I want to make it to sanctionals. I want to go to Wadapalooza. I want to go to the games. Like, okay. Um, you look at them as an athlete and you be real with that person, but you also like, can you do what these other athletes do? Uh, it's a hard conversation, but you know, uh, it's valid. So I want to transition the conversation a little bit, um, Mm -hmm. to, well, I want to talk a little bit more about programming and, um, Again, I think this is just one of the things that you've had a lot of experience with because you're, you know, doing affiliate program, but you're also doing individual design, which are two completely different beasts for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And the big thing with programming for groups is that you don't necessarily know who you're programming for. Like you don't know who's going to walk in that particular day, who's going to be doing the workout. And even though like you want people doing the same workout, or having the same stimulus, let's call it like, yeah. um, you, you want to be able to get like a, a certain tension out of the workout. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's just like a difficult thing to do when you have, like, you're trying to, like, if you gave the same workout to a bunch of different people, like it's a different workout for all the people. hundred um, percent. And I, it's like, it's, it's almost, I don't want to say it's impossible because this is what like I'm doing for a living, but it's, it's close to impossible. <laughs> like you're, you're writing one workout for, in our case, like 200 athletes it, it's yeah. to provide them the same workout and expect them to all get the same result, the same stimulus. It's, you know, naive to think. Um, and I think that's where it goes back to when we put out the program, they, um, get the workout the night before in sugar wad, but they also get the intent behind the workout. So they know going in the next day, all right, this is what I should be feeling. This is what I should be getting after. Um, this is how, about how long it should take if the time domain isn't set. Um, so they know going in then the next day, um, there's always communication with the coach every day. Um, there's not one class. I don't think where everyone's doing the exact same thing. Um, you know, whether that's the reps are scaled down or the movements change, uh, completely, um, you know, it's, it's to do that on a group level and everyone just gets the same cookie cutter thing. I think you're doing a disservice to everyone in the gym. hundred percent. Yeah. Completely agree. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a really hard time with the protocol trying to do that and, um, already cutting off segments of the population saying this program's not for all of you. It's for these people. And even within that, it's still difficult. So like an affiliate, you get people who consider themselves competitors who want to, you know, compete at a high level who are doing this. You got people who are, you know, just want to be generally fit and to get a decent workout in like you have all of it. So, um, one of the things that I found is interesting is like, if you're doing like, for example, like a four time workout, mm-hmm. you're going to get people that are finishing way behind other people, unless you put like a cap on it. But then mm-hmm. at least, you know, the volume of that w- workout. Yeah. Whereas if you do an AMRAP, you know that everyone's going to finish at the same time. Like, you know, on the buzzer, everybody's done, which yeah. is kind of nice. Cause then you don't have people watching other people and like, you know, the out of shape people feeling like they're like self-conscious yeah. cause they're getting watched. Yeah. Um, but, but at the, the same time, then you don't know the volume. Exactly. It's, it's, like I said, it's, it's close to impossible and, you know, you try to balance it out. Um, you know, obviously some days we have like AMRAPs, EMOMs, um, uh, you know, for times. Um, but 
you try to like, like I said, it's almost, you have this group, uh, you have this group programming, but you try to dish it out like on an individual level, you know, um, Mm -hmm. every day having that conversation with, uh, a athlete, B athlete, Hey, instead of, um, you know, wall balls here, we're going to do, you know, front goblet squats or, uh, instead of overhead squats, we'll do an overhead lunge or something depending on, you know, whatever the athlete is dealing with, um, you know, because you know, they're all different. They're all dealing with different physical limitations. They all have different stressors. Maybe someone, you know, was up late because their baby was crying all night. So instead of working for a uh, 20-minute MRAP, you have them on a 12 or whatever. Like, you know, yeah. everyone's dealing with different stuff. So to give everybody yeah. the same stimulus is, you know, counter, counterproductive. Yeah. And even with people that are doing individual design programs, like you're writing for one person. So it makes it way easier in that way. But at the same time, like you have varying abilities on different days. Like there's times where I write workouts for one of my athletes and it's like, like, yeah, they totally should be able to do this. And they aren't able to actually complete the, the EMOM for example, or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I write it and it's an RPE six and I thought it'd be like a, an eight or a nine or something. Um, So it's just like completely off. Um, one of the things that I've seen you do in programming that I really think is a, a great idea and I've stolen some of it is you'll do like an EMOM or some sort of interval like that. Um, and then you'll have like an AMRAP of X amount of seconds on that EMOM. For, so for example, mm-hmm. you do like EMOM eight minutes, 15 seconds of strict pull-ups or something where yeah. you get basically as many reps as you can. Um, so it's almost like creating this individuality on a specific day um, yeah. based on what your capabilities are. You want to yeah. talk about that at all? Yeah. So um, I don't know when I started doing that, but um, mm, yeah, I'm not sure when I started doing that, but I noticed like, you know, you have imams like in class and you have, let's say, a 10 minute imam of six strict pull-ups every minute or something, or maybe it's five to eight. Cause you know, some athletes are like not as strong as pull-ups or whatever, you know, you may have a, a guy who's doing five pull-ups and it's taking them, I don't know, six, seven seconds. And you have someone else who's doing the five pull-ups as well. They complete the imam as RX. They technically did their imam as they were, should have, but they may have been doing five singles, uh, each minute, or maybe they were doing, they were taking 28 seconds. Well, at the end of that EMOM, athlete A was on the bar for, let's say one minute in total. And athlete B was probably on the bar for four minutes in total, you know, their grip may be shot for the next day. So that means their nervous system is shot. And it's like, if there's any way we can kind of control, you know, the time under tension or whatever, kind of tailor that, um, I think it makes it a little easier to keep it um, in line. Like athlete A and athlete B were both in the bar for 15 seconds each minute. They may have gotten, you know, a certain number of pull-ups, but they were both kind of doing what they were capable of in that time domain. Um, And I think it also goes to, you know, RPE work. I know that's like a, that's not really a thing in, in CrossFit as much, but uh, I think it's a mature athlete who can know like, all right, this should feel like a six or I don't know how you do RP. I've seen many ways. Um, so I do it just strictly by feel like that felt like an eight out of 10 or an 8.5 out of 10. I know some people who do 
like an RPE nine means I have one more rep in the tank or an RPE 10 means I have no reps left or an RPE yep. means I, so I know there's different ways, but um, I think the best way to do your training is by feel just my opinion. The downside of that, I think it takes a very mature athlete to do that. And obviously you can't feel what your other athletes feel. So just trying to find ways to kind of keep things in control. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I do it the same way where it's like, I want this to be a subjective number where I don't want this to be something where it's like, Oh yeah, I had one more rep. So that means it was an RPE eight. Mm -hmm. Like, no, to me, that's like AMRAP minus one. Like, um, (laughs) yeah. So it's like, which both of those, like whether you do it either way, where it's like, you know, uh, three sets of AMRAP minus two, where it's like, you're stopping two reps before you would fail rep. You have to be pretty much your athlete or at least an experienced athlete to be able to actually know what that feels like too. So like with either one of those, whether it's like an RPE eight or like you're doing like that AMRAP minus two type thing, it's like, I feel like less experienced athletes or just like more novices don't actually know what that is because they just don't know their yeah, capacity just, that well. Yeah, they just don't know themselves that uh, that well yet or haven't put in the reps to like know like, all right, when I get here, I know I can get two or three more reps. Um, so it's I've, I don't think I've ever programmed RPE in a uh, – in in affiliate programming it's just too it can get too messy because you know athletes can you know some some athletes depending on the confidence level really doubt themselves very early like "Mm, i don't know and then you have those very ambitious athletes like oh i know i could have did one more and it's like no you couldn't i saw (laughs) i saw you grind that out (laughs) yeah rpe6 man (laughs) i think it, it i i like the uh the timed imams um because it's just another way uh, of control and kind of keeping things in line from athlete to athlete. Yeah. Again, I think that is super challenging, whether it's group program or individual design is like, yeah, athletes just like attack stuff differently than you think sometimes as a coach. So for example, like even if it's a EMOM 10 minutes, it's a, you know, 10 calorie bike, for example, in my mind, that means like you take 45 or 50 seconds to complete the bike so that you're not right up against the time, but it's this as easy as possible. That's and then I'm going to have, what I think. <laughs> and then instantly I have some other athlete over things like, Oh man, that means I hammer it as hard as I can and oh take my. 20, like, you know, 10 seconds, the first minute. And then by, you know, minute 10, I'm absolutely fried. And it's like a, and the yeah. max effort every single minute. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think if you can like, like what you're doing here is like, you're just creating a more specific way that you want the athlete to actually do the workout. Because yeah. writing the workout itself isn't enough. Like you have to also give the intent of it. Yeah, and it's and it's that's almost I think you know, it it's like kind of just telling them to walk in a dark room and find whatever they want to find. Like you have to put the light on, let them know. All right, this is not only where we're going, but this is how we're getting there. This is what we're doing. Um, it's very important. So I like athletes know every single day, not only what we're doing, but why we're doing it and how we're going to do it. And it's much easier. Um, like the progress we see or, um, the results we see they're achieved much easier if athletes know the why. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that's not given a lot. Um, unfortunately, um, probably a partner as a result is just like to be able to make a living coaches have to take on enough client volume where it's really, yeah, time consuming if you actually write out the why for every single person. So it's like if you're getting a, 
you know, cheap coach, you're probably going to get a cheap program where it's yeah. just really not written out that much. Yeah. I think that's part of the reason why, uh, I am not doing individual, like much individual stuff right now, hardly at all. Um, because I just feel like I'd be doing a disservice to said athlete if I was just to give them or whatever. And then if we both want to, you know, get the results, uh, we want, it's going to be very, there's going to be a lot of communication. There's going to be, um, you know, a lot of purpose and you're going to like, not just get this information and do it. You're going to know why we're doing it. And I feel like that's a lot of time. I just don't have right now. Yeah, no, I think there's definitely a danger in athletes at a gym going to, you know, said coach who does, you know, CrossFit group classes and they're like, Hey, I know you maybe do individual design for one or two people. Will you coach me as well? Rather than like going out somewhere and trying to find like an online coach who like does that exclusively. Like, I'm not saying that like you, you know, there's certainly people who are pushed into systems who are individual design coaches who probably do their job poorly. Um, and their athletes don't know it. And so like a facade sort of thing, but more commonly I would say it's like, you know, if you're, a coach and you can be a very good in-person coach. And if you're trying to do remote coaching, like say that athlete's not actually at your gym, but for some reason, like you knew them and now they're on the other side of the country and you have to do that exclusively remote. Like if you don't have the systems in place, you're you're doing them a disservice. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And so it almost be better to just tell them like, Hey, find a coach near you um, that has eyes on you every day. Um, can you can communicate with knows how you're feeling knows how you're moving it's it's much better to get maybe a coach as I don't say not as qualified um, but maybe a little less knowledgeable than having the perfect most knowledgeable coach who you never see or talk to you know oh yeah yeah for sure if you're not like communicating regularly with your coach Um, which goes both ways. Like, first of all, I know plenty of coaches who don't talk to their athletes that much and that's on the coach, but also if like you're the athlete and you're just like, Oh, I'm doing this program and I'm not providing great feedback or I'm not letting them know how it's going. Like you can expect a really poor quality product to be delivered to you. If you don't give that coach good feedback on what you're actually doing. And then if you finally do catch up with them, or you see them moving and be like, dang, you were moving like that this whole time. <laughs> Are you even feeling like this? Yeah. Like, yeah. And you know, everybody's like, what the heck? So I, I think it's better. I'm sure, like I said, I'm sure my athletes at 1440 get annoyed with how you feeling today? Uh, like just all the, these seemingly, you know, pointless questions um, or me just staring at people, but it's like, you know, it plays a part into what am I going to program for in two weeks from now or how's this going to change tomorrow or, you know, or maybe the, what we're going to do today. Like, you know, it's all, it all plays a part. Yeah. No, that's really good. I think, uh, you're like, Hey, look at, look at my eyes. Like I'm see your eyes. I'm see your eyes. Don't lie to me. Uh, no, but that is like, that's just coaching. Like that's, that's good. I think, yeah, not enough coaches are willing to adjust on the fly because it's against time consuming too. It's like yeah. you already did the affiliate programming, which takes a long time and a lot of thought to try to figure out how you're going to program for all these different demographics of people. And then to try to adjust that or um, make changes based on what you're seeing on, you know, the the bulk of the group kind of dealing with it at a particular time makes it even more time consuming. Yeah. 
Because, you know, you have an idea on how things are going to turn out, but, you know, when they don't, it's like, do I just keep going with this plan, even though I know it's not working? Or do I adjust? And, you know, I think it's a part in humbling yourself, like, all right, this didn't turn out, or are you just going to be like, well, go get it together. You know, it's it's a balance. Yeah, and I think also that's like... For example, if you're doing like some set program or if you have a coach that's building your program out way ahead of time, that makes it way more challenging too. Like if you're like, for example, if you have a, a coach, you're following a program that's, you know, a four week block at a time or an eight week or 12 week thing where it's not adjusted and you're just following this and it's like, oh, five pounds heavier than last week. Got to put on the yeah, bar. Gotta, and it's like, you still feel like do. garbage. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that's again, another thing that's super challenging about programming. And I think it's good to have, uh, like we have plans. Like I know we have like a, throughout the year, we have like our open prep stuff. Uh, we have Murph prep every summer or spring leading to summer. We have like a strength cycle or two we'll get into. So you have a plan, but the actual day-to-day programming, I don't do more than like two weeks out. Um, just because, you know, like, even if it was individual, if you're following like a 12 week plan and week six, God forbid your grandmother dies or something. And, you know, you have a stressful weekend with the family and then you go in the Monday, you're supposed to be up five pounds and it doesn't work out. You're thinking, what the heck? Something's wrong with this program. I'm like, no, it's, you know, it's having that constant communication with the coach is super important, super important. Yeah. That's, that's really good stuff. So another thing that I've seen you do a lot is, um, well, obviously like we we've talked about mobility a lot in our past conversations and to us, mobility is not just having the range of motion, but also having like sort of motor control and strength in those ranges. Um, yes. so that's kind of, kind of where I want to direct the conversation is like, um, how do you think about developing mobility with like that? Again, the strength component in mind, um, well, let's start there. What do you think about that? Um, so, I don't know. My views on mobility have changed, I guess, many like many times over the years. I know mobility. It seems like mobility is always the hot thing going on. Like, we're yeah. when you're like, there's always drills to do. There's always these pieces of like equipment that you stuff somewhere. Like, there's always something to like <laughs> work on with your mobility. Um, I'm just a huge, huge believer in spending time in the positions you want to change. So um, let's say for instance, people want to improve, like let's squat. A squat is a really easy one that people work on. Um, You know, there's a lot of hip mobility drills. There's a lot of, um, ankle mobility drills, uh, foam rolling, like all that stuff. Um, But people don't really spend a lot of time in the squat, in the position they want to change with actual intent. Um, So I know for like the overhead squat is a huge, um, is a movement that demands a lot of like mobility, flexibility, motor control. but people don't spend a lot of time in it, but want to improve it. And the thing that kind of confuses me is that we credit like sitting, for instance, you know, we sit to eat, we sit to drive, we sit to 
on our computer. And we know and acknowledge that those positions cause change because we spend a lot of time in them. They tighten our hips, they tighten our ankles and whatever. Hmm. But we, we don't credit other positions for changing those restrictions. You know what I mean? So it's almost as if one thing is causing a problem, but we can't use that same paradigm or that same mentality to cause a change. Um, so it goes to, you know, if you spend a lot of time sitting, maybe not sit so much. Uh, and if that position you spend a lot of time in is causing change you don't want, maybe spend more time in position um, that will cause change you do want. I think a lot of stuff is like flashy and, you know, you can sell people a lot of stuff and movements and it's great. But I think spending time in the positions you want to change is, is um, a method that people don't use or think is as valid because it's not as like flashy. Yeah. And it's like, I, I think a good analogy for this might be something like if you want to get better at your back squat and you do Bulgarian split squats and lunges and, um, different, uh, like maybe a dumbbell squat or different variations. It's like, well, what point do you back squat? Like if you're not back squatting enough, you're not going to get better at your back squat. Like it's gotta be specific. And I think that's where kind of you know, I feel like there's like an old school CrossFit way and there's like a new school CrossFit way. The, like the old school CrossFit's like, oh, I suck at this. I'm going to just do this until I get good at it. And yeah, that has its pros and cons. And like a lot of new school of thought is, oh, I suck at this. Let me put all of these things in place so I can be good at this, which again has its pros and cons. Um, but, you know, I think people as far as the mobility side of it look too much at like the, or put too much stock in the individual joint or mobilizing these tissues and not as much stock into their nervous system or the control behind those movements. And they just, and it's, it's too much of like a a symptom based approach to, uh, to their mobility. So like I have tight ankles, I need to work on my ankles or I have tight hips, I need to mobilize my hips. And it could be like, you know, I've seen plenty of times where, you know, your ankles may be tight, yes, but are your is your nervous system making it tight? And it's trying to create stiffness and stability in a place where the feet are not strong or your hips tight? Is it trying to protect you because your core and low back is weak? You know, you see plenty of times people just taking a symptom-based approach and working on their mobility. And like, let's say at the hips, for example, and they come up with a low back injury um, where your body was trying to create stiffness in a place and was trying to protect you because it sensed weakness or lack of motor control at, at another place. Um, so, you know, your body's intelligent and it's probably doing things for, you know, reasons we don't understand, but um, people do, don't put as much value in terms of the mobility, I think into strength, their motor control, their nervous system as the actual tissues. Yeah. For example, if foam rolling or the cross ball smashing, if that was the thing that was releasing or smashing those and pulling apart those tissues, like you think when you load up your back squat and your traps wouldn't be like the most mobile piece oh of tissue goodness. and they get so stiff after you're done <laughs> they back squatting. Get so stiff, but people, people will put a lacrosse ball in their traps all day all day. And, you know, maybe they feel some relief because, uh, you know, the pain tolerance is a little higher for a second because you were trying to stuff a lacrosse ball in your neck. 
But, you know, if you're if you're back squatting 200 plus pounds, is that going to do anything? Or if we're doing like a like a loaded hamstring stretch or something, but I just saw you deadlift 300 pounds, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, it's it's hard for people to see the connection between those two. Um, And not to say that, like, I would never discredit any like, you know, progress that people see from using those things. Um, but in my experience, working on the actual tissues with the tools and the uh, um, and the mobilization techniques, it's it's not as important, I'd say, as you know, controlling those movements, nervous system, motor control, strength. Um, but you know, I, I I hate to see people like work on it so long and not see the progress they want to see, or it leads to more injuries. You know. It's, Yeah. I just don't think people understand like the use of the tool. Like it's a tool that can help if you use it in the right way. If you're not just like mindlessly like rolling on your foam roller or on the lacrosse ball and you're like texting somebody or doing something like how many people have I seen on their phone doing that stuff. But like if you were have the intent of like, Oh, I'm going to do this. And the purpose is to help myself relax and to calm down these tissues so that I can then get into my squat into the specific ranges that I need. And it helps me achieve a better position so that I can actually load that position better heavy so that over time it gets better because I'm in a better position and also being able to load it better. And if I get with more weight over the long term, then I'm that's getting stronger. So it's like, I think that's where most of the value that stuff lies. It's not only that they are causing change, but it can put your body temporarily in environment to create change in the positions you want to change. So yeah, if you can use that lacrosse ball and stick it in your quad and it like allows your nervous system to kind of relax and um, not send as many signals to those tissues temporarily. So you can then move to those positions. Yeah. Great. But you know, I see people do it. Like if they come in and, you know, doing the same foam rolling for years, um, and still have knee pain, still have, you know, it still hurts when they overhead squat. Yeah. You know, it's, (laughs) but you ask them, you know, how much time do you spend like with a PVC overhead or just like, maybe we do temple overhead squats and they're like, uh, not really none. Um, not, and, and not, this is another thing that's made me think of it, not so much with mobility. I remember I get more questions about like skills. How do I get better at handstand walking? I get that a lot. And I, when I want to learn how to handstand, I'm not a great handstand walker. I'm not. I'm like, I know I could kick up. If I wanted to, I could kick up and handstand walk, but I'm not like a, Matt Frazier, hundred yard unbroken handstand walker. He's pretty good. People don't don't let him fool you. <laughs> He's being but, uh, humble. I'm I'm not. But but <laughs> I when I wanted to learn how to handstand walk, it never occurred to me. Like now, there's I see people like doing a lot of drills, um, like overhead stability drills, or working on mobility for their shoulders, doing some stuff against the wall. I know when I saw Rich Froning handstand walk for the first time, and I wanted to learn how to do that it never occurred to me to like do a drill. I just wanted to handstand walk. So I would kick up and just do that thing. Um, and I just fell a lot and got up and fell a lot. And I got better at it that way. Same way with snatching. This probably isn't the smartest thing, but I would like, I was not good at snatching. You could argue that I'm still not good at snatching, but I would really just, snatch every single day, whether it was an empty bar or the PVC. And I would spend a lot of time 
in those movements, in those positions. And eventually your nervous system, your motor control gets a lot more efficient the more time you spend in them. And you're not going to get good at overhead squatting no matter how mobile your shoulders are, how mobile your hips are, um, or, you know, how relaxed your tissues are if you don't have, if you don't spend time doing them. You know, you get better at the movements you want to change by doing those movements. So I don't think there's not enough, you know, value given to that. Yeah. I think I've thought about this a lot because one of the big things like big headaches that, or I don't want to call it a problem, but pain that people have, so to speak, and not like a literal pain, but like stuff that they're trying to figure out, um, in their training is like, they want to learn skills. Like I want to be able to do my first muscle up. I want to get, you know, double unders more consistently. I want to be able to figure out how to do butterfly pull-ups, um, all that stuff. And it's like, how do you balance doing the skill itself where you get enough volume doing the actual skill, which is probably the best thing that you can do. But then you also get people where it's like, if you do too much of that thing, then you get joint irritation and it's going to affect your way that you can actually move correctly when you're doing that thing. Um, but at the same time, that's the best way that you can learn the skill combining that with like drills that are more, um, you know, mimicking the movement as closely as you can get it that are maybe a little bit more longevity based and, you know, other things. I don't know if like, I don't know. I think still though, like volume, just like doing the skill and doing a lot of the skill is the best way that you can actually, you know, really develop and refine and hone a skill. It's, it's definitely a balance. I know. Um, I totally agree. If you want to get better at riding a bike, you ride a bike. If you want to get better at swimming, but you're trying to do it on land. You're, you know, you're hurting yourself. <laughs> you need to do the thing you want to do if you want to get better at it. Um, but there's a balance. Do I do this too much and risk, like, let's say butterfly pull-ups and I'm like causing irritation to my, um, AC joint. Uh, my, I want to get better at double unders, but like my feet and calves are getting beat up. Um, one, I think strength is key. Let's go to, I'm just going to use examples. Um, so let's say double unders. I want to get better at double unders, but uh, I get fatigued, my shoulders get tired, my feet get sore, my ankles get sore, my knees get sore, whatever. Um, at 1440, we have like our regular general programming, like our day-to-day class programming. We have like some extras programming. So the extras is a mix. So it's for people, it started out for people who wanted to be like competitive um, and get good at like the sport of CrossFit. And uh, for some, it's just people who just want to get better at certain things. So there's the main pieces are like double under pieces. That always seems to be a skill people want to get good at. There's an Olympic lifting piece. So snatch, clean, jerk. And there's also vegetables. Um, so I call them vegetables because it's like the stuff you don't really want to do, but it's like, you got to do like your vegetables. You don't really want to <laughs> eat them. <laughs> yeah, you don't really want to eat them, but you know, you got to. So there's like strength based vegetables, skill based and conditioning based. Um, so on the double under section, there's always like jump rope practice. Uh, three of the days I think actually have right, like actual double unders in them. The other two days have, it's either a thousand single unders or some high volume number of single unders. Um, and the reason for that is it's creating, I believe creating a foundation in which to build your training off of. So I really think some people, especially for the sport, like you need to get in shape to train. So what I mean by that is, let's say you want to get better at double unders and you want to put in 15 minutes of solid practice, whether over an EMOM or whatever. 
And let's say that imam is like 20 seconds every minute or something like that. Uh, someone who's good at double unders could probably get like 40 double unders. So that's like 40 jumps every minute over 15 minutes. I don't know the math on that. That's like uh, 600 jumps, maybe. If you can't do 600 single unders or if you can't contract that many times, it's going to be hard to get enough practice in to get, you know, accumulate enough volume to get good at that. So building that base of like single unders is going to allow you to get accumulate enough uh, training energy to get enough practice in Um, for like butterfly pull-ups. It seems really low level, but if you want to hit a set of, let's say your goal is to hit a set of uh, 15 chest bar pull-ups and that may take 10 seconds. Um, There are some people who want to get, like their first pull up or something, but can't hang on the bar for 10 seconds or can't hang on the bar for 30 mm, seconds. Like yeah. don't even have that foundation to train off of. Like you want to hit 15 chest of bars, but you can't even hang on the bar long enough to hit 15 chest of bars. So creating a foundation to build off of first, I think is super important. Um, so let's say we build like a base level of grip strength and like the rotator cuff can handle like supporting your body weight, hanging on a bar. Well, let's build some strict pulling strength too. Um, so we can condition those tissues, condition the musculature. Um, so it can handle when you come down from, um, like, a like a hard chest bar, like that heavy centric, can your tissues handle that? Um, so building the physical structure is important. Um, but once we have that, you just need to, to spend time. And as we're spending time, like performing those movements and spending time in those positions, you still need to continue building the structure. Um, so it, it, I do agree. There definitely is a balance, but you can't always spend time building the structure and you can't always spend time like working on the skill because both are dead end streets. I think oftentimes, for example, if people are like listening to this right now and they're thinking, Oh, like, when I learned X skill, I, you know, just did the skill a bunch and I got really good at it. And likely they're not thinking about the job they had growing up that was landscaping that meant they're on their feet for 10, 12 hours a day for five years. Like, and now they're just doing double unders every day and they're able to handle that. Whereas like someone else is 35 years old that had a desk job for the last 20 years. And, you know, every time they go to do double unders, ankles and knees are just destroyed the next day. Like Absolutely. those aren't the same, like the, the structure and tissue tolerance is it's, so much different for those two it's people. It's completely different. It's completely different. So, you know, again, going back to like knowing your athlete, knowing their training age, knowing what they're coming in the door with, um, it all plays a part, you know, not everybody can be given the same prescription and expect the same result. Um, so, you know, for some, it's going to be spending time in the positions. For some, it's going to be um, developing the ability to handle the training time to get in those positions. So, again, it depends on the athlete. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, just taking the time to develop that number of contractions, which goes back to the aerobic work we were talking about before. It goes oh, back I love to the aerobic work. It goes back to the mobility stuff. It all ties in because, like, if you if you don't have the range, if you don't have control of the range, if you don't have the, you know, aerobic potential for contractions, like you're you're not going to be able to handle the the volume when you actually want to learn the skill. So, again, I think this goes ties in with like, Hey, find a coach who actually knows what they're doing. So you can either, you know, be following along in person, like at an affiliate or, 
yeah, having them tailor things to you that they actually know what they're doing. Last thing I want to talk about here is we talked about the the range of motion component for mobility work and developing strength through like the entire range. And that's like super important. On the other end of that, like there's people who are not able to express anywhere near their strength or like they can maybe overhead squat 135 pounds, but that doesn't mean they couldn't support 315 pounds over their head, for example, or it doesn't mean that they couldn't do an Anderson squat with 500 pounds, even though they can back squat 315. Um, so this is another thing that we've talked about. It's just like the role of partials with like a super or super maximal load to just develop strength. So we also have the the mobility component where that's part of it is like developing strength through the entire range, but we can also develop strength through a specific, maybe shortened range, which is something, again, it's demonized in CrossFit a lot is like, no, you should be going through the entire range of motion. You shouldn't cut your, your range short at all. Um, and I don't think that's a, an accurate thing. I don't think you, you think it either. Yeah. I, I know. And a lot of things we see from, uh, you know, through the lens, like through that CrossFit lens is we have those standards of movement. And if we're talking about the sport of CrossFit or certain movements, um, like, uh, like a full wall ball or a deadlift, like those are certain standards in the sport of CrossFit or to perform those movements in a wad. Um, so if you're an athlete, like a CrossFit athlete, most of your time is better well spent spending time in the positions you'll be in for your sport. Um, so you'll be doing, you know, thrusters where you'll be getting your hips down below parallel or whatever. Um, but to say that like partial range of motion movements have no value to a CrossFit athlete or to a general gym goer, um, is very naive to think because, you know, life doesn't require you to, you know, always get your hips down below parallel or always touch that bar to your chest. You know, a lot of times, um, you know, number one, you're going to have to be strong in partial ranges or only moving things like an inch or two. And the benefit of those movements is that you can load so much weight onto your structure that you otherwise wouldn't, if you were to go through a partial range, um, I, I would have to go back and look at like some videos, but I know there have been like movements, whether they're carries, some back rack stuff, some overhead stuff, um, deadlift partials, or I've had weight in my hands or on my body that I would never be able to handle. Um, and there's just a different kind of, I guess you could say contraction or, mm. you know, focus that goes with handling those loads um, that you just wouldn't be able to get anyway else um, or anywhere else. So there's definitely value in that for the nervous system, for the structure, like your bones, your tissues. And I think a lot of it's from, you know, a lot of fitness, I guess, today, I guess in Western, it's like functional fitness. That's a big buzzword or bodybuilding where a lot of the focus is on the musculature, the muscles, how well can they expand and contract getting a full range on your bicep curl or whatever. Um, you know, but handling those loads, it's, you know, I've read about it and you can't experience it until you do it. There's like just a strengthening component to your 
bones and your tissues and your fascia and your nerves and your organs, like everything seems to be contributing to this. Yeah. Um, and muscles, it's, bro. It's, hey, I think that's <laughs> it's like, all about the I, muscle. it's great and it looks good, but oh my God, it's a super, super limited way of thinking in terms of like health and fitness and strength. I mean, you got guys back in like the thirties, you can talk about like Paul Anderson and, like Bob Peoples, there's like a guy, Bud Jeffries, which is like a big guy who talks about uh, like yeah, no, partials, no. you know, this is, it's, it's not anything new, but I know muscles and how you look is like a big thing, but true strength. I mean, it's, it's everything you have, everything you have. And if you're not trying to develop everything you have, uh, you're limiting yourself big time. No, that might be the intro for this. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's super good. Uh, and I don't know, I think sometimes people are like, oh, like this has to be some sort of accessory type thing where it's not specific to the sport, but like, even if you're creative, like you can, especially not, not so much for like CrossFit open athletes, or if we're thinking about those movements, but for example, like there's yoke carries in the games, yeah. like a yoke carry is like a perfect example of a partial. Cause you're standing that out of maybe a quarter squat at most you have like these crazy loads on your spine. Like you can do it with 150% maybe of your back squat, depending on how efficient you are. And yeah. like just the load that that's going to have through like your, your core, like do you just be able to stabilize like your like abdominal wall to be able to create that much pressure where you can support yourself and to be able to have that much tension and like your erectors and like everything, like, like even like walking, like your, your hip structures and like your femurs, like all of it. Oh my God. It's, I'm telling you, if you've never, if you're listening to this and you've never done like a heavy back rack hold, um, or maybe done a heavy rack pull from like right above your knee or even right below your knee, um, or maybe got on a bench and you had some power racks and put it like two inches above lockout and try to lock it out. It's just a different type of contraction um, and a different type of load on your nervous system. Um, and yes, there are like 99% of the movements in CrossFit require you to hit a long range of motion or to go through a full joint uh, range of motion. But, you know, I, I like to focus a lot of this stuff on like, you know, 99% of people are just trying to look good, be strong and be good at life. Um, and life's going to require you to like, you know, carry things, help your buddy move and to, you know, do things like that. And to just be a strong individual, you know, it helps to do some kind of unconventional things. Um, and, you know, there isn't one, one idea or one way of training. So if you're limiting yourself, um, because you think there's one idea, um, that's what you're doing. Like you're limiting yourself. Yeah. Life doesn't happen with a neutral spine. Life doesn't happen with a neutral spine. Life happens one step at a time, twisting, bending, gotta be strong always. One RM Jefferson curl. Here we go. (laughs) I have seen that. That's not the prettiest thing. (laughs) We don't recommend that. Um, yeah, no, I, that was honestly really good. And I think, uh, we'll kind of wrap it up here. Um, but we'll definitely have to jump on another one of these. We have a lot more to talk about here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Where can people find you? Um, so I'm on 
I guess just Instagram. My uh, tag is jbaldy1025, J-B-A-L-D-Y, 1025. Um, I'm on Facebook, just my name. Uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, you can come in and drop in my gym. Uh, yeah, do that. Cross the 717. They're right across the Market Street Bridge from Harrisburg. Um, used to actually take my students to the gym over there. Yeah, it was a good time. <laughs> yeah. Um, These kids. Yeah, the stuff I put them through. Um, <laughs> all good. All good. Yeah. Um, yeah, last question for you. So if you could recommend one thing to listeners that would help them, you know, find, let's call it success in their training endeavors, whatever they choose to do, um, whether it's like a service, a habit, um, something that they can seek out and try to find on their own. Um, what would that thing be? Um, I'm going to say two things. Uh, number one, I'm going to say your breath. Um, like working on your breath work, your ability to process oxygen. You could do that um, with like standalone breath work. And it goes back to spending time doing the things you want to do. Get practice breathing, whether that's bringing attention to just how you're sitting and breathing, how you're sleeping and breathing, like as you drift off to sleep, um, how you're breathing in wads. Um, You know, it goes back to that aerobic work. You get practice just breathing. Um, you know, you can go like a month, I think it is without food. You can go days without water. You can't can't go that long without oxygen. So that should show you right there. It's super important. Get practice breathing. Um, and the second one, which isn't talked about enough is your feet, um, strengthening your foundation. I mean, whether it's running, whether it's squatting, um, anything if your feet if your foundation isn't strong uh everything upstream is going to be taking a hit and that goes to like pain as well um if you have knee pain if you have hip pain shoulder pain um neck pain like look at the foundation it's 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 super important and it plays a bigger role than you think if you got like a lopsided table if you got a lopsided table or something you always look at the legs of the table. You don't look at the, the actual table. You always look at the foundation. So think about that. Like this, the top of this table is not flat. I'm going to sand yeah. this corner down. Yeah. Sand this corner down. I'm going to cut this edge off. No, it's probably, it's probably not anything upstream. It's probably something get, down though. Got to get new shoes for the table. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah. So your breath well, and your feet. Yeah, no, those are both really good. Um, we'll talk about those again sometimes because that's a whole conversation in, in and of itself oh, is, you know, absolutely. both of those for sure. Cool. Um, hey, really appreciate you coming on today. Hey, thanks for having me. Shout out to uh, Ben Wise. Oh, and going back to the breath work, breath work for CrossFit. Good piece of literature <laughs> right there. Check it out. All right. Hey, thanks. Absolutely, man. I'll talk to you. Hey, it's Ben again, and I wanted to take a minute to talk about our online training program, The Protocol. The Protocol is for athletes who want to train for the sport of fitness. It's programmed by me, and it's my best attempt at preparing athletes with varying strengths and weaknesses for the demands of the sport. 
And I do this through the use of silos, which basically means I segment parts of the program based upon athletes' ability in a particular area. So for example, an element of the program this fall on Tuesdays and Thursdays was gymnastics-focused training. And there are four different silos, so athletes could choose to work on chest bars or muscle-ups or handstand push-ups or handstand walks. In other words, we are all doing the same core program, but there are ways to individualize it on a weekly basis. And as part of the program, I also include coaches' notes, technique videos, and educational resources almost daily. My goal is to not just have this feel like you're doing a workout plan, but to feel like I'm actually coaching you through the process of becoming the best athlete you can be. And having access to the protocol is just part of the benefit of being a pro member. You also get instant access to the vault which is exactly like it sounds. It means that you unlock the ability to be able to download all the programs that I've ever written. So this includes things like Bulletproof Body, which is the accessory work for functional fitness, gymnastics density for the big five, functional thickness, your first muscle up, cyclical supremacy, overhead squat mobility, breath work for the support of fitness, and it could go on and on. And lastly, you get instant access to pro articles, which are on topics that I really want to safeguard from the public and keep for my athletes. Stuff like cycle speeds for CrossFit open movements, strength ratio data analysis, so basically determining your relative weaknesses on strength work, breaking down sanctionals programming or games programming, energy systems testing and analysis, and a whole lot more. And if this sounds like stuff that you're into, you can get a seven-day free trial of Pro. Simply head over to zorfitness.com slash pro. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay the course.